Now, having said that, I want to ask you, have you ever felt lost in the problems that change can cause in your life? Yeah, I see some, I see some nodding heads. Um, I think we can all relate, especially in the last five years alone. We've experienced a lot of change, a lot of problems in our personal lives, in society, and around the world, and it can feel so overwhelming. At times, we don't know how to cope with it all. Many are struggling. Well, this week, I heard the story of a daughter and her father. The daughter was sharing with her father um, some of the problems that she was experiencing in life, and that whenever she solved one problem, another one just seemed to pop up and take its place. She was just so tired of struggling all the time. Her father, who was a chef, ended up taking her into the kitchen. He filled three uh, pots full of water and placed them each on a flame. And uh, she was standing there wondering, okay, what is this all about? But he didn't say a word to her. So when the water started boiling, he took carrots, placed them in one of the pots. He took an egg, placed it in the second. And then he took uh, ground coffee beans and placed those in the third pot. And again, no words. She's just standing there wondering, okay, where is this going? Well, uh, eventually he turns the burners off, and he pours out the, uh, the carrots into one bowl, the egg into another bowl, and the coffee uh, into a third bowl. And then he finally uh, invites her to tell him, what do you see? And she says, well, I see carrots and egg and coffee. And then the father invites her to touch the carrots and the egg, and then to taste the coffee. She did it, and then she asked, okay, so where is this going? What does this all mean? Her father told her that the carrots, the egg, and the coffee beans faced the same adversity, boiling water, but each had a different response. You see, the carrots were originally hard and unyielding, but they became soft and weak, mushy. And then the egg uh, started with a thin outer layer protecting a liquid interior, but faced with the waters of adversity, it had become hardened on the inside. But the ground coffee beans were different. By being in the boiling water, the coffee beans transformed the water itself. The father asked his daughter, when adversity comes knocking, which are you? Last week, we heard about the ups and downs of the early church. This week, we talk about another down moment in the life of the church, but this one's different. All the down moments last week were based on external problems, persecution, namely. This week, the problem is internal, but this down moment turns into a huge up moment because of what God does in it. It's the example of the coffee beans transforming the water all over again. You see, in adversity, the church can either become soft and weak or hard, hardened to the point of being of abandoning love's call or a transformative force for good that changes people's lives. We all know that change, whether good or bad, can cause problems in our lives. Even good change can cause problems. The early church's problem was due to the pains that come from rapid church growth. It's a good problem, but it, it, it's a good thing, but it creates a problem. As I was preparing the message this week, I came across a list of four dangers uh, that growing churches often face, and I thought that this would be a great way of opening up our story for today. The first danger of rapid church growth is uncertainty of purpose. 
Overall direction and purpose can easily be forgotten or set aside in the face of the urgent need and in the face of when we grow. Here at Christ Church, our mission, our purpose is to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. We constantly repeat this message over and over again because we need to remember who we are and what we're about. The minute we stop talking about our purpose is the moment that we begin to drift away from it. Related to the danger of losing our clarity are fuzzy priorities. Fuzzy priorities. Let's get it up. There it is. Fuzzy priorities. You see, when problems come up, it can be easy to leave the real priority behind to focus on the urgent need that is most immediate. You might have experienced this, for instance, in the workplace. You have a project you need to get done, and then all of a sudden, a need pops up that's so urgent that you completely set aside your top priority uh, and set it aside completely and, and see to this urgent need. Fuzzy priorities can confuse us to the point that we don't know what our priorities are, let alone the discernment we need to protect them, to defend them against the urgent that demands for our full attention. A third danger of rapid church growth is a tendency toward professionalism. What do I mean by that? Well, as the church grows, it can provoke us to lean on highly trained people to do the work of ministry. And this often has a negative effect of taking ministry out of the hands of the laity, the, the people of the, the congregation, which decreases a sense of ownership in the church. We've experienced that tension here at Christ Church, and we've tried our best to, to navigate balancing between having um, professional hired staff versus the need to empower all of our people to serve the Lord and to be the church. That leads to the fourth danger of rapid church growth, a loss of individual significance. You see, as churches grow larger, we can get lost in the crowd. You know, churches, either our size or larger, it can be easy to get lost in the crowd. Growing churches need to continue emphasizing the importance of the individual, but that isn't always a simple matter. One of the ways we try to keep the individual from being lost here at Christ Church is through the spaces that we've created, like Wednesday night dinner, our faith essentials classes, through our programs, and through small groups where people can connect. John Wesley called this watching over one another in love. And it's not something that we should just leave to the pastors or the staff. It's an all-hands-on-deck call that it requires investment from each of us. I share all of this with you because this is the context of the early church in Acts chapter 6. The church is facing a huge problem provoked by its growth. This down moment could have been disastrous for the early church, but as we learned just last week with Pastor Todd, nothing can stop God. So what was the problem? There were really two issues. The first problem was that there were unfulfilled needs. There were unfulfilled needs in the church. Let's pick up from last week in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, there's a, a couple of things we need to understand about this passage. First, who are the Hebraic and the Hellenistic Jews, and what was this daily distribution of food? 
Well, remember that the entire church at this point in the history of the church consists of Jewish believers. There were no Gentile believers. Everyone was a, uh, came from a Jewish background. The Hebraic Jews were likely descendants of exiled Jews who had returned to Jerusalem in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, they were nationalistic. They were uh, proudly spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And they, uh, they also took a lot of pride in, in following the law as best that they could. The Hellenists, on the other hand, were Greek-speaking Jews from different parts of the world who maintained their religion, who maintained their faith through the many synagogues that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire in those days. Some were descendants of those who did not return to Jerusalem during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and lived out among the nations. Others were traveling merchants. Sometimes the Hellenistic Jews returned to Jerusalem for the Passover or other festivals and would end up settling there and staying. Some of these folks ended up becoming believers in Jesus. Now, there was an ancient practice among the Jews. Every Friday morning, the people collected alms, both money and goods, from the marketplace and from the private homes that they would visit to distribute later in that day. Those who were in temporary need received enough to help them carry on, and those who were permanently unable to meet their own needs were given enough to make 14 meals a week, so two meals a day for seven days. This was called the basket. There was also a house-to-house daily collection for those in dire need called the tray. The problem is the Hellenistic Jews believed their contribution to the common offering wasn't being equally distributed among their own widows and people in need. See, as the church quickly grew, there was a loss of individual significance. People, specifically the most vulnerable, were falling through the cracks. You might wonder how this could possibly happen. Well, there's two possible, two possible explanations. It was either uh, prejudice on the part of the Hebraic Jews against the Hellenistic Jews, or it was simply that the Hellenistic widows were overlooked. The truth is we don't know the answer. It's certainly possible that the Hebraic Jews uh, felt superior to the Hellenistic Jews. After all, they spoke Hebrew, they spoke Aramaic, and they were quite proud of that fact. And those were things that the Hellenistic Jews had lost. But at the end of the day, whatever the reason, there were unfulfilled needs in the church, and that was a problem. The second problem was conflicting priorities. When the 12 apostles heard about the complaint the Hellenistic Jews had brought, they got together to talk it over, and that's when they realized that two important priorities of the church were in conflict. Check this out in verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. The twelve were clear that the word of God and waiting on tables were both priorities of the church. Preaching the word and caring for people are non-negotiables in living faithfully before God. In fact, the prophets of the Old Testament made it clear that the treatment of Israel's poor and powerless directly reflected the health of Israel's relationship to their God. But due to the rapid growth of the church, two biblical priorities were now in conflict. We even see this dynamic of conflicting priorities play out in churches today. You know, some churches are great at preaching God's word, but do very little to reach out to the lost and, and the lonely and those who 
desperately need help. And then there are other churches that are great at helping those in need, but don't distinguish themselves as disciples of Jesus by sharing the gospel. You know, as the church's leaders, the 12 realized if they approached this the wrong way, that they would be in danger of abandoning their top priority of making disciples to meet the urgency of the moment. You know, if they allowed that to happen, it would compromise their purpose to make disciples of Jesus Christ. To their credit, they realized that they were not the answer. They needed to find another solution because they were unwilling to compromise their primary ministry of the Word of God, as urgent and as important as this need was. So what was the solution? It's so simple, it'll shock you, or it might shock you. Sharing responsibility, that's it. That was the solution. Sharing responsibility. If caring for the widows was a priority of the church, it needed to be done. But if the, the apostles couldn't do it, it didn't mean that it couldn't be done. It just meant that somebody else would have to do it. And for that to happen, the 12 needed to empower and equip those called to do so. Let's go on to verse 3. The apostle said, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The 12 apostles were humble enough to share the responsibility with others, but they didn't share it with just anyone. You see, they trusted the church to appoint seven men who not only belonged to the church, but also to that community of Hellenistic believers who had brought the complaint in the first place. With the Holy Spirit's guidance, discernment, the apostles realized if the Hellenists were disturbed about a potential inequality, then it would be best to put them in charge of the distribution. The apostles refused to fall into the trap of a growing church by tending toward professionalism. They trusted the church to choose the best people from within, building trust and ownership among the body of believers. Their only qualifications, other qualifications, were that these men have a good reputation and that they show evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Fair enough. So, Now that we've talked through the problem and the solution, what was the outcome? Well, the church, it grew stronger. Here we see how the coffee beans transformed the boiling water of adversity into an opportunity for God to use the church as a transformative force for good in people's lives. Let's go on to verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the solution that God inspired in the apostles had several outcomes. The first outcome is it pleased the whole group. You know, at first things looked really bad. It looked like there would be a church split that would come in the form of the Hellenistic believers splitting from the Hebraic believers over a failure of the church to care for its own. But in the end, they were heard and honored by the apostles. The second outcome is the word of God spread. Why? Because the apostles stayed true to their top priority, which was to 
preach the word of God, to teach the word of God. They were clear on the church's purpose. They continued to preach and to teach while the needs of the community were being cared for by the seven. The third outcome is the number of disciples increased rapidly. And the fourth, which I find really interesting, is that there are many priests, Jewish priests, that became obedient to the faith, that put their faith in Jesus as a result of these events. Now, there may have been up to 18,000 priests, Jewish priests, living in Jerusalem at this time. I didn't quite believe that number. I, I did my best to try to corroborate that. It seems to be accurate, but it's still a hard number to believe. But 18,000 Jewish uh, priests in Jerusalem at this time. Now, very few of them had active duties, and very few were making money. So it's possible that these people may have been drawn to the church simply because it evidenced caring for its own. Regardless, this outcome shows that a potentially huge down moment in the history of the church ended up becoming a huge up moment and a win for God. And that really takes us to the main idea I want you to take away from our story today. You know, the whole story of the, the, the coffee beans transforming the water of adversity, this whole church conflict story leads to this one truth, that there is potential in your problem. There is potential in your problem. It may not feel like it at the moment, but whatever problem we're facing right now has potential. Will we allow ourselves to become soft and weak in the waters of adversity? Will we become hardened on the inside? Or will we surrender the outcome to God and be used as a transformative force for good in people's lives? The issue is that we often have trouble seeing the potential in our problem. We're wrapped up in it. We're caught up in it. So church family, how can you see the potential in your problem? Well, there's three ways I want to show with, uh, share with you. The first way you can see the potential in your problem is by accepting problems as inevitable. The bad news is you can't get away from problems in this life. It's going to happen. You might be in the middle of a problem right now. You might have just got out of one, or you may just about to be coming into one. I think that's a Rick Warrenism right there. But, uh, but yes, you're going to experience problems in this life. But the good news, here's the good news. We're sons and daughters of the God who overcame the very worst problem that this world ever faced, the problem of sin. Last week, we talked about how you can't stop God. We tend to see problems as impossible barriers. But in Jesus, problems are merely challenges to overcome. Listen to the encouragement Jesus gave his disciples on the night that he gave his life for us. Jesus said, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome this world. Carol Dweck is a researcher who did a series of studies on how people handle adversity when they face obstacles, failure, and change. She took a group of 10-year-olds in one study and gave them progressively difficult problems to solve. The idea was to measure the, uh, the children's response to failure. Well, most students became discouraged and depressed uh, by their inability to solve the more difficult problems. But there were other students who reacted differently. One student who couldn't uh, solve one of the difficult problems shared how 
enthusiastic he was and that this was a challenge. He loved a challenge. Another kid who couldn't solve a problem shared how he was pleased that this was an informative exercise. That must have been a mature 10-year-old to say that. Um, Carol realized these kids were not discouraged by failure because they didn't think they were failing. They thought they were learning. She concluded that people have two mindsets, closed and open. Those with a closed mindset believe life is full of a fixed number of gifts and talents and that your worth is determined by how talented you are. But those with an open mindset are those who believe growth is always possible, that there is always potential in your problem and in the problems that we face. See, many of us fear failure. I believe the fear of failure to be somewhat irrational. It's relatable, it's understandable, but it's irrational. Why? Well, because every time I've failed, I've grown the most from that failure. Every time I get up again, I'm stronger for it. From the world's point of view, Jesus failed. He claimed to be a savior and was crucified a criminal. It doesn't get much worse than that. But death couldn't hold Jesus down. He revealed himself to be the savior he claimed to be all along. My point is the world viewed Jesus' death on the cross as a failure. It wasn't. And neither are the so-called failures that we suffer in life because God is using those experiences to, to make us, to help us to grow and to move forward. When we dispel the myth that failure is the very worst thing that we can experience in life, it helps us to see problems differently. You see, problems aren't as scary to face. And then accepting problems as inevitable becomes an invitation to grow in God's grace. It's the coffee bean mindset by which we can transform ourselves and others and see the potential in our problem. The second way we, you can see the potential in your problem is by learning to listen well. Learning to listen well. Listen to whom? Both God and other people. Remember, we're in a vertical relationship with God and in a horizontal relationship with people who bear God's image. Relationships only thrive based on how well we listen to one another, but not all listening is equal. Listen to what the Apostle James had to say about listening well to the church that he wrote to, James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Once again, we see the priorities of the church to live out the word of God in our lives and to look after those who can't provide for themselves, vertical and horizontal. Listening well to God does not simply mean reading scripture, but actually putting it into practice in our lives based on what we've read. Listening well to others means being slow to speak and quick to listen. I mean, I'll admit, there are times where I'm pretty quick to speak and slow to listen. Maybe you can relate. I mean, there are times where, where sometimes we have conversations with people, and we have a, a response already fully formed in our minds before the person's even finished their thought. I'm guilty of this. I think we all are to some extent. 
So much of our listening can be surface level with the intent of, a, of appearing open-minded, but if the apostles had listened in this way, then this story that we heard today could have ended much differently. Listening well with others not only helps you to see the potential in your problem, but it helps you to recognize what the problem actually is. It helps you to define the problem. Nancy Ortberg told the story of a boy named Billy who was in and out of the emergency room for a year uh, with uh, problems that had been diagnosed as asthma. He was having trouble breathing. The trouble was that there was no history of asthma in his family, and they could find no hint of any allergies that were causing the asthma. Um, one day when Billy was in the emergency room having extreme trouble breathing, one of the interns on a whim decided, I'm going to go ahead and look up Billy's nose. You know what they found there? There was a black jelly bean wedged up Billy's nose. His brother had shoved it up there a year prior to that. Probably could have been something that he mentioned to them that would have saved a lot of trouble. But the doctors were astonished that, that he had this thing wedged up his nose that long and that they had been treating him for the wrong condition. So from that day on, Nancy put up a sign in the emergency room that read, check for jelly beans. After all, in that context, diagnosing a problem correctly can be the difference between life and death. You see, listening well helps us to see the problem for what it is. It helps us to see the potential in our problem. But there's one other factor to listening well that we need to consider. Now, we've probably all heard of ADD, attention deficit disorder. I struggled a little bit with ADD as I was growing up. There's another uh, uh, disorder that's become pretty common in our society. It's called empathy deficit disorder, EDD. Douglas LeBeer, director and founder of the Center for Adult Development in D.C., shared this thought. We unlearn whatever empathy skills we picked up while coming of age in a culture that focuses on acquisition and status more than cooperation. In bringing up your pain to someone else, have you ever heard, well, it could be worse, or have you had somebody change the topic on you entirely? It can come across as, uh, well, don't bother me with your pain or with your problems. The apostles didn't do that. They empathized. They said to the, to the Hellenistic believers, we see you and we acknowledge your pain and we're going to stand with you. To listen well is to love. It requires patience. It involves asking questions and waiting to hear the answers fully before we respond. And ultimately, listen to this, it's some of the best ministry you will ever do. You know, some of the things we think are important in our lives won't even make God's top 10 list. But listening well can, can and will change a life. You'll see the potential in your problem by learning to listen well. Here's the third way you can see the potential in your problem, by inviting Jesus into your problem. Listen to this timeless advice in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with, what, all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. This one may seem a little obvious, but let's be real. Are you willing to say that every time you have a problem, your first reaction is to bring it to Jesus? If so, that's great, but I don't think that's the majority of us. I think, I think we struggle sometimes. We forget that Jesus is with us. Let me give you an example. 
Some years ago during Advent, a pastor received a phone call from a man who was in distress, who needed counseling. And the pastor uh, had the man come to the church, and they met in his office. And that's where the man told his story to the pastor. It was, it was horrible. He had killed his wife in a fit of anger and had been convicted of manslaughter and went to prison for uh, many years. And when he came out of prison, he completely had lost contact with the rest of his family. So as Christmas approached, he was really struggling, feeling alone and abandoned. The worst part was at this point, he could probably pass his daughter on the street and not even recognize her. But the thing that stood out to this pastor the most from the conversation were the first words that this man said to him. He said, now preacher, let's just leave Jesus out of this. As a man left in sorrow, the pastor reflected that this was the whole problem. He had left Jesus out. Don't leave Jesus out of your problem. He's with you. He's involved in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The question is if we're acknowledging him or trying to solve it on our own, in our own way. Rehoboam was the the son of King Solomon and the grandson of King David. He was the king of Israel who essentially caused the split between the northern and the southern kingdom. You know, this could have been resolved similarly to the way the apostles handled their problem. After all, the problem uh, emerged as a complaint against King Solomon's unfair and unjust labor policies. But instead of leaning on God and those who earnestly sought God's will, Rehoboam leaned on his friends and those who wanted power over the people who had brought a legitimate complaint. The kingdom split in the relationship between north and south were never the same. Rehoboam became the hardened egg that faced the waters of the boiling waters of adversity. He had become hardened on the inside by that adversity. The apostles facing similar adversity leaned on Jesus and witnessed people's lives being changed as God blessed their faithfulness. We're proud. We think we can do it on our own. But none of us, not a single person here and online can can overcome the problems of this world on our own. Only Jesus accomplished that. So why leave the only person who can do the impossible out of the equation? It makes no sense. You see, all this leads to an important truth. I told you earlier that there's potential in your problem, but I never define what that potential is. Well, I'm going to share it with you. Here it is. Drawing near to God is the potential in your problem. Drawing near to God is the potential in your problem. It's the most important thing that we need to take away from this story today. The apostles were clear on their purpose, their priorities, the importance of the individual, and were sensitive to the gifts that were present within the church community. Because of this, a potentially huge down moment in the life of the church became an actual huge up moment for God's glory. And listen to this, everyone drew nearer to God as a result. Every single person drew nearer to God because of the potential in that particular issue that they faced. Adversity doesn't need to make us soft and weak or hardened on the inside. There's potential in your problem, but you just need to know how to see that potential by accepting problems as inevitable, 
by learning to listen well and by inviting Jesus into your problem. Because drawing near to God is the potential in your problem. Drawing near to God won't just change your life. It'll change the lives of the people that God puts across your path. Because if the church is called to be one thing in the world, it's to be those ground coffee beans in the boiling water of adversity. As we're changed, God will use us to bless others with the miracle that is Jesus who overcomes this world. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace in Jesus Christ, which never fails and never ends. Lord, we face so many problems in this life. It can be overwhelming. But Lord, you can give us eyes to see the potential in each of those problems, our potential to draw near to you, Lord. Lord, help us to to see our problems for what they actually are and to be able to know, Lord, that we can we can see the potential in the problem by drawing, by, by inviting Jesus into the problem, by learning to listen well, and by accepting problems as inevitable. Lord, thank you for overcoming the greatest problem this world ever has known, the problem of sin. You overcame it on the cross, and to the world it looked like failure, but it wasn't failure. It was your ultimate victory. Help us not to be afraid of our problems, to be afraid to fail, because we will fail and we will face problems. They're inevitable. But help us, Lord, to respond to them in a godly way that brings people close to you. Thank you, Lord, for working in the early Acts chapter 6 church. And thank you, Lord, for working in our community today and in each of our lives, showing us your way, your truth, your life. Fill us with a fresh indwelling of your spirit and give us wisdom to respond not like Rehoboam to the boiling water of adversity, but to respond like the apostles who listened well, who invited you into the problem, and who weren't intimidated by the problems of rapid church growth. Thank you for blessing their efforts. Thank you for growing the church. Thank you, Lord that you are still Lord God over everything that we face in this life and that we can put our whole trust in you. All this we pray with gratitude and great expectation in Jesus' awesome and mighty and powerful name, amen.